This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. And guys, you are in for such a treat today. Today, we welcome Brianna Kappa. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist, and she specializes in infant family early childhood mental health. So what that really means is that she is really knowledgeable and passionate about infant mental health and maternal mental health, and she brings these two skills and practices together in such a powerful way. In today's interview, we discuss the power of self-reflection and that it is one of your best kept secret tools as a mom to look inward and evaluate your own responses and triggers that come up as a mom. We also unpack the idea of reparenting, what this buzzword is right now on Instagram, and how it helps you to move past these triggers and unpack traumas and things that you've had in your life. We help you to understand the concept of infant mental health, what that actually means, and ways to build secure attachment with your child, prioritize or find the balance between prioritizing your needs and your child's needs and who comes first and when. And we also talk about gentle ways to instill values and set boundaries in your home. Guys, buckle up. This interview is jam-packed full of amazing content. I encourage you to even find a quiet space, maybe even have a journal. This is a really meaty episode you may have to listen to once or twice over to really grasp all of what is being said. Such a nourishing and powerful episode you're in for. Before diving in, this week's review comes from, goodness, I don't even know how to pronounce it, guys. V-A-D-A-C-H-E-L-L-E. Not even going to pretend like I know how to say that. And it says, blessed. I'm just starting my journey with motherhood, and I have an overwhelming sense of gratitude for this podcast and the Instagram page. It's so amazing to have such a positive light with great advice and amazing women who strive to just be perfectly imperfect and sharing ways to cope with motherhood. Thank you so much for this lovely review. I'm so happy that we are supporting and uplifting one another. And like I said, today we are doing just that in this episode, guys. So I won't keep you. Let's dive on in. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. 
Rihanna, thank you so much for joining us today. I feel like we've gotten to know each other a little bit through Instagram, and you're just one of those humans I am excited to spend time with. I want to get to know more. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Why don't we open up with a little bit about your story? Because you specialize in maternal mental health and infant mental health. And how in the world did you make your way into that field? Well, um, let me just start by describing a little bit about what infant mental health is. So in infant mental health, we look at the relationship that's happening between the mother and the baby. And we're really wanting to hold and contain that relationship. We want safety. We want love. We want connection. We want all of the, the, that beautiful attachment that, that you've probably learned about in school and experience with your own children. And what really led me even into the field of therapy, just to, you know, kind of backtrack a little bit, was um, doing some self-reflection work in college on my own family relationships and really trying to understand why my relationship with my mother was so complicated and was so challenging and why I kind of felt at the exact same time that I loved her and I needed her and she was my best friend, but I was also really terrified and scared and unsure about the stability of our relationship. And so in graduate school, um, in the process of studying and learning about family systems and learning about child development, I started to wonder about my own childhood experiences. At that point, I hadn't done a whole lot of thinking about them. I had just assumed that everybody uh, experienced the things that I experienced. Um, And when I started to kind of dive in and ask questions, I realized that the things that I experienced were not as common and were not as typical. Um, you know, a, a, ra- a mother who was experiencing a lot of rage, a mother who was really difficult to um, connect with in like an intimate way, kind of feeling like you're pushed away, but also sought at the exact same time. So that disorganized way of being in relationships um, was something that I experienced. Um, a lot of physical abuse and emotional abuse and verbal abuse were things that I experienced and things that my siblings experienced. I say this with so much um, love and respect for my mom because um, I know it wasn't easy for her. She was um, only 20 when she had my brother. She had four kids in six years. Um, She had very limited support systems. Um, She didn't have like you know, a lot of information around the intergenerational transmission system of trauma. She was not taught, you know, some of this information that I now know today around 
you know, a baby's mental health and the dyadic mental health, which is the mother and child mental health. There's no conversation around maternal mental health. Nobody at that time was really talking about postpartum depression and the impact that postpartum depression and postpartum rage could potentially have on the children of the mother and even the father going through those kinds of things. And so as I was learning about all of these things, I decided to work at a site um, that specialized in, uh, it was a therapeutic preschool, and it specialized in therapy with children um, two to five who had trauma histories. And it was actually really emotional for me to be in that setting. And I found myself extremely triggered because these children, I mean, their, their traumas were far worse than anything I ever experienced. I mean, these children were in foster care and were, you know, it's something, it's something else to be like physically present with a child who's being actively abused and being put into a system and put into homes. I mean, that's really difficult to witness and to, to, to be with, um, as, as a provider. And, you know, what it brought up for me was, wow, there's so much healing that I need to do in my own relationship with my parents and with my mother in particular. And in that, if I do that, I wonder if I can help and support mothers and their children in healing the effects of postpartum depression and, and unresolved trauma, unintegrated trauma, family family patterns of behaving that are so unhealthy. Can I be a person that can help and support that? And all of that is what really led me into the field of infant mental health. So it has absolutely been a journey. I've been in the field now for eight years, um, and it's been a tremendous honor um, to sit with with women like myself who have histories um, that, that that are similar to mine that are wanting to create a new pathway for their own children. Um, it's also an honor to sit with women who don't have histories like mine, who um, you know come with different kinds of backgrounds that are still deeply dedicated to understanding how their past influences who they are in this present moment and how they're going to move forward in their lives of parenting their their small children. Hmm. That is such a like touching and powerful story and I find that one of my favorite things in doing this podcast is learning like that first question learning about what brought you to this field like what brought you to be passionate about this and I learned so much about people's deep stories the healing that they've gone through the things that they've experienced in their life and it's so powerful there is a movement towards therapist being on Instagram and and presenting as more human, you know? Mm-hmm. We've often um, been taught to be a blank slate and not really bring any of ourselves into treatment and into therapy, but it's mm-hmm. your humanity and your experiences and your ability to be vulnerable that even draws me to you as a person, right? So I can imagine mm-hmm. how that creates a sense of comfort for your clients as well. So thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, it's, it's, it's an honor. And, um, 
you know, we all have, we all have wounds. And if you're in the healing profession, you probably resonate with feeling like a wounded healer at times. And so it really is such a, such a gift to be able to process my own wounds and make sense of them and heal my relationship with my mother and then take that into the field and into the world of infant mental health and mother-child relationships and father-child relationships and give that gift of healing. Because I really, in my core, believe that our children choose us so that we can heal something in our lives. It's not really about us raising them into great human beings. They will do that really, you know, on their own and through their own life experiences. It's really about them coming and re-raising us to be the great human beings that we really need to be for them. Hmm. Does that make sense? Totally makes sense. Like they cause us to kind of like rise to the occasion for ourselves and for them. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's what they that's what they need from us. That's what they're calling from us. That's the whole basis of conscious parenting and mindful parenting. It's it is parenting from this from this higher place, not like a hoity-toity, I'm I'm perfect and I do everything great place, but from this place of I am deeply connected to what what it is that needs healing in my life. And I am allowing my child to be my teacher in that. Hmm. Hmm. In learning a little bit about your approach, and even as we're talking, it brings up, like clients talk to me about trauma. And mm-hmm. if people have gone through trauma, like what you've gone through, or we've all, you know, everyone has their own Um, experiences. You spend a lot of your life as a young adult trying to like become your own person, heal through that trauma, make sense of it, build safe and healthy relationships with your partner if that's something that you have in your life. And then, and then hopefully, or if you want to, you become a parent, Mm -hmm. right? And that trauma, like it's not a linear healing through trauma, right? Mm-hmm. No. And it reemerges for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And this concept that you have introduced me to and a couple of other psychologists um, have introduced me to is the idea of reparenting. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about that a little bit and what mm-hmm. that means? Yeah. So reparenting is, the the idea of it is finding a way to um, heal from your past, to create a sense of safety um, and a sense of predictability and a sense of consistency for yourself. So when we are born, babies really rely on a stable, predictable, consistent, safe parent to meet all of their needs to meet their their needs for food, their needs for hygiene, their needs for love, their needs for attention and safety, their needs for physical warmth and touch. Um, our baby babies really, really rely on parents to be able to do this. And you know, for the most part, I say most parents do and are able and are capable in meeting those needs. But as our children become older, those needs evolve, and depending on the parent trauma history and whether or not they have done 
some of this self-reflection work that we can talk about in a little bit, they may or may not be available for the child's changing needs. And so then what happens is the parent becomes less emotionally available and that child now is kind of still needing the parent but not able to get their needs fully met through the parent. And they're not in a, in a mature enough way yet to be able to get their needs met completely on their own. And so this kind of creates like a little crisis in our psychological wellness and, and our little, our little brains at, at that, those early stages in our lives are really struggling to kind of reconcile. How do we get through this? How do we get through this phase? And so when this happens, these adults, the, these children will grow up, can often grow up into adults who feel emotional wounds. They might have wounds around feeling abandoned. They might have wounds around feeling like they need to please others in order to keep people close. They um, might feel wounds around not ever being good enough. No matter what I do, nobody, I can never be good enough for the people around me. Or I need to be perfect in order for people to respect me, in order for people to love me. These are all, you know, I, I like to call them like micro, you know, micro emotional traumas that we, that just kind of get stored into our psyche and become a part of our self-belief. And they really do need to be reparented because if we think about what we do and what we provide for our children as parents, we provide our children unconditional love. We provide them safety. We provide them unconditional acceptance, unconditional positive regard. That's it, and that unconditional is really the, the, the word here. And so as an adult, when I'm reparenting myself, I'm providing myself unconditional love, not in a, not in a narcissistic way, but in a way to really meet that attachment need. I'm providing myself unconditional self-acceptance of both my strengths and my weaknesses. And I'm not seeing my flaws as something that others are going to use against me or others are going to abandon me for. But I see my flaws as just being human and a part of being human and even a beautiful and important part of being on this earth and being in this, you know, uh, being in this body. It's, it's, uh, it's almost spiritual in a way. I'm giving myself mm -hmm. unconditional, um, unconditional sense of, of safety. Um, I'm, I'm being protective of myself. So maybe that has to do with boundaries. Maybe I'm setting my boundaries clearly, lovingly, but I'm not, I'm not doubting them and I'm not questioning them, questioning them and I'm letting them be flexible if I need them if I decide or want them to be flexible, but I'm doing it for me, not because I am being driven by some kind of outside need to please or a fear that this is what others need for me. Instead, when I'm reparenting myself, mm. I am doing it for me. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm showing up for myself to be the parent that I needed. I am being the parent for myself that I needed to have as a child that I didn't quite fully get. Yeah, because I think that we internalize 
like the voice to ourselves becomes that critical or like almost like the voice of of the abuser at times or the trauma that we've gone through where we talk to ourselves in a way that we've been spoken to or you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, and absolutely. Yeah. And and it's interesting because Lisa Oliveira, I think is her name on Instagram. I don't know if you follow her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, she once posted about like, think about yourself as like baby you or, you know, six-year-old you or mm-hmm. like 10-year-old me who was going through a high custody and access assessment with my parents, like high mm-hmm. conflict, you know, separation and divorce. Like what does 10-year-old me need to hear mm-hmm. today, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And like that kind of stopped me in my tracks for a mm-hmm. moment because I was like, uh, for one, the way that I would talk to adult me is 100% different than I would talk to infant or child me. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Tell me more. Like, what would yeah, adult like the, say? Yeah. Versus child like, you. Right? Like, oh, you need to do X, Y, Z or you're not good enough at whatever. Like, But if I think about my child, like uh-huh. I would never speak to my child in a way that wasn't encouraging and uplifting, right? Like I think of my sons, like I would never. Mm -hmm. So this whole idea has me so intrigued because even in making that distinction in the visualization in my mind, it's like, okay, today I'm really being hard on myself about something, let's say. Mm -hmm. And it's like, stop, no, like this isn't okay. Let's picture like you as 10-year-old you, you as baby you, like speak to yourself as if you are this delicate person, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Because that's that's meaningful. We become the things that we internalize and we say to ourselves, mm-hmm. right? And those then become the thoughts and the feelings that our children think about themselves as well. That's what we're really invested in, in, in infant mental health, how, uh, how we it's it's kind of intrinsic how we see ourselves is how they end up seeing themselves too wow mm-hmm. wow that's really like powerful to me can we yeah can we unpack what that looks like like what does infant mental health look like and how how practically do we work through that kind of like in a therapeutic setting? Can we just unpack it a little sure. bit? Sure. Well, um, like I said earlier in the beginning, infant mental health, we are looking and and very, you know, interested in supporting the child-parent relationship. So the there there is no child without a mother, and there is no mother without a child. And so we're not elevating one need over the other, but we're looking at both of what is this mother needing to be available to this, to this baby? And what is this baby needing to keep moving forward on their, on their development and moving in the best, best direction that this baby can, can go. Um, when in, in a therapeutic setting, when we are promoting infant mental health, it's really a lot of holding and supporting moms and teaching moms how to attune to their babies. And so what we mean by that is watching what a baby, how a baby is moving. How is a baby's 
different and subtle movements telling us, engage with me, mommy, or, oh, I need a break, or feed me, mommy, play with me, mommy, hold me, mommy, kiss me, mommy, all of the different things that a little baby is going to be trying to communicate to, to mama. What we're trying to do is help mamas listen to that and, and respond to that in a way that is, you know, appropriate enough for the moment. So um, D.W. Winnicott is who kind of coined the term, the good enough mother. And what he found was that if we 33% of the time or one third of the time respond, responded to our children in an attuned and appropriate timely manner, uh, that child will have a healthy and secure attachment. Um, And that's really what we are trying to promote, healthy and secure attachments. We believe so strongly um, that if if a child can, I, I guess I look at attachment as like a nice solid foundation of a home. I can build a home with brick and with concrete. And when storms come, that home may get tossed around a little bit, but it's going to be able to weather the storm. Now, the, the, the other side of that metaphor is a insecure or weaker attachment where maybe the house is built with straws or sticks. So if a storm comes, that home is going to be, le- is, is not going to be able to weather that storm as well. When we are focusing on helping moms attune and respond to their children in the way that the child actually needs it, we are building a healthy, secure foundation. And then the next thing that we are thinking about in infant mental health that's really important is what we call reflective functioning. Have you ever heard of, have you ever heard those words, reflective functioning? Um, Okay. No, So this comes from the work of Peter Fonagy. And he was basically researching that old that old school thought, which was however you attach to your parents is how you're going to attach to your children. And it's kind of a, a lose-lose situation if you had a crappy attachment to your parents. There's really not much that you can do to have mm. a better relationship with your children. You're just going to repeat the pattern. So this is what we used to believe. And um, we it was kind of a downer for, for families who didn't come from a great background or maybe didn't have a great um, relationship with their parents. And Peter Fonagy comes and does some research and says, actually, that's not the case. Um, if we can build a parent's reflective functioning, if we can help a parent make meaning of their past, understand how their early childhood experiences influence how they react in the present moment, how they look at their children, how they respond to their children, it is that awareness, it is that reflective functioning that is more Uh, closely related to a healthy, secure attachment than anything else. So it's the reflective functioning that makes us sensitive and the reflective functioning that makes us attuned and helps us notice and observe more accurately Mm. what is going on for our children. Why? Because our crap has been processed. It's not getting in the way in the moment. That is the idea of reflective functioning. I am mm. making time to process the things that need to be processed so that when I have a difficult, challenging, or triggering moment with my child, it's no longer in the way. 
I'm not thinking about that negative experience anymore. I'm actually available to my child's emotional needs in this moment. And like I said, um, with D.W. Winnicott's work, that is what promotes healthy, secure attachment, being present to our child's needs and responding to it accurately. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It does. It makes complete sense. And like, it's interesting because I work with a lot of moms who, you know, are experiencing postpartum Mm -hmm. or feel like they should just automatically be attuned to their baby's Mm -hmm. needs, right? Or they should automatically, their baby is, should be, come with this like inherent bond to their baby when, Mm -hmm. when, you know, they're presented with this, this newborn, that they should feel this overwhelming Mm -hmm. love and things. But really, it sounds like, and and from what I know, is that it's a skill that we acquire and we can be taught and that we learn. Absolutely. And and the idea that we should have these things from the from the get-go is a is a false societal expectation that is it only sets us up for failure, um, especially when we are not experiencing that right away. Now, in the case of of women who are suffering from postpartum depression, um, yeah, part of the, a part of the work um, is is often f- making sense of your of your childhood and making sense of the things that are triggering these these negative feelings, especially if the mother is having negative feelings toward their baby, or especially if the mother mm-hmm. is feeling like they need to be perfect for this baby or else this baby will not love them or this baby will not need them. We really need, right from the beginning, have to be working to help moms correct and heal through these maladaptive ways of thinking and being. I I think these are more like trauma ways of believing um, what our role of as mothers actually is. Um, it, when I when I think about what my role as a mother um, to my little baby boy, it's to show up for him. And in order for me to show up for him, I have to show up for myself. And I have to be aware of Hmm. all the nuanced things that are going and pulsing through me um, on a regular basis because it just doesn't really go away. It it really does. Our past, no matter what the circumstances of our past, it stays with us for a reason. We and, and our children are the ones who make make light of it for us, bring it to the surface for us. And this is why mm-hmm. self-reflection in motherhood, I, I can't talk about it more than enough because it is really probably our most effective parenting tool that we can have is self-reflection and the ability to understand our mm. past and how it influences our present. It's not a very practical tool, right? It's not giving you the words to say to your child in the moment, which I think a lot of us really benefit from and really crave and really want. But it is a it's one of those lesser known, not talked about enough tools that that really changes. It's a game changer for us, Erica, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when we are really honing and practicing the art of self-reflection. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments, researching doctors, reading reviews, 
making phone calls to book appointments, it's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com slash momwell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's ZocDoc.com slash momwell. ZocDoc.com slash momwell. Mealtime with kids can be stressful, but with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code MOMWELL50 to get 50% off your first box. Want to get smarter about your health but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. I think that my biggest challenge in motherhood has been regulating myself. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. and, and I've learned this like from 
our interactions and from speaking with you and from the content you put on Instagram that like, I like I'm obsessed with every single thing you put out there. Um, (laughs) is that like, you cannot expect to regulate a child when you yourself are dysregulated. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, say it louder for the people in the back. And you're talking like, I feel called out right now. Are you talking to me? You know, because like, that is my, like my work in a day. Like I, like I obviously do, like I have to care for the kids. I've got three young boys and I'm always like, there's so many things that I'm doing all the time with them. Uh But my most conscious struggle through all of that morning routine, getting them on the bus, getting their dinner, getting them into bath is regulating my own frustrations. Uh Like I want to say it probably takes up 70% of my capacity, you know, throughout Uh the day, just doing that. But, but it's what I need and it's what they need, you know? That's the work. That's the work. Yeah. All all the stuff that you you described is the hard physical labor of motherhood. And then the self-regulation and self-reflection is the emotional hard labor of, of motherhood. And, Hmm. and, and we do need, it, it, it is one of those important things that if we do it, um, we enjoy motherhood more. We appreciate motherhood more. We grow in our motherhood experiences more. We also take a lot of our kiddos things a little less personally when we are engaging in our own self-regulation and self, self-reflection self practices um, because we really start to see we're all just human beings kind of running around with our own stuff kind of going on underneath the surface. We're all just little bodies of nervous systems and our nervous systems are constantly communicating and interacting back and forth, back and forth uh, between each other. And I think when we start to really see our relationships in this way, how, how do we not enjoy them a little bit more and not take them so personal? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It does. Yeah. 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 And yeah, like it just, the boys react differently when I react differently. There's less power struggling. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like you said that stepping back and like parenting from like not a reactive place, but from like a bird's eye view mm-hmm. of the situation, Absolutely. right? Like taking perspective of what's going on. And I work with parents a lot about understanding the context of what is happening with your child and their behavior, mm-hmm. right? Like stepping back and and rationally thinking some of those things through um, to understand their behavior and know that they're not just out to like disrespect you or, you know, like it's not, there's like not malicious intent behind these behaviors at that. Absolutely. But this is why reflective functioning and reflective capacity, self-reflection, whatever the heck you want to call it, is so important because it is extremely hard in the moment to be rational because it's our the front part of our brain that allows us to be rational in these in 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 any kind of moment is shut down when our children are behaving in a way that is triggering for us whether it's triggering something and we're consciously aware of that trigger or something for what's t- more typical it's triggering something unconscious that we're not very aware of our bodies are the ones that are that are doing the the reacting now the more i the more i spend time 
learning how to understand, gosh, what happened in that moment when my son pushed my face away and I felt fuming with with anger, right? I've had this. This has happened to me in the past, Erica, where my son has put his hand on my <laughs> face and he has pushed it. And the amount of anger that instantly went surging through my body was, was very extreme. And I had to put him down because I became afraid of myself in that moment. And I had to take a step back. I had to tag team it, had to have my husband, Matt, come in and, and deal with Mateo in that moment so that I could go and reflect and regulate. And what I realized was, wow, even just the slightest, like something that could be remotely, could remotely remind me of that time when my mother punched me in my face, right, will absolutely mm. trigger my body. Even though I have completely forgiven my mother for those experiences, I have I have done a lot of self-work um, around those kinds of issues, but boom, right there in that moment, it's as if I never did anything about it. And it's completely present for me in, in the moment in my relationship with my child. Absolutely. I need to take a step back. I need to regulate. I need to reflect. I need to understand what more work do I need to do around feeling like when people are physically intruding upon my boundaries and physically intruding in my physical space. This is something that is not, it's obviously not completely healed. And I have a young, my child's not even 18 months. So I have many more years of a child being in my physical space and we'll probably add on to our family. So I'm sure I'll have even more years on top of that of children in my physical space. So you can see just from my example of of how self-reflection outside of the moments is what's going to help me be present in the moment when that difficult moment happens. And I won't have to be, my brain won't have to be spending extra energy processing my trauma from my past, but instead I can see my child pushing my face away as maybe trying to tell me, hey mom, I need some space. And then I can speak to that. Oh, baby, mm. it really looks like you need some space. I think that's a great idea. I'm going to put you down and give you some space. And mommy is going to take three deep breaths and give myself some space too. Hmm. It sounds like a constant dance between like self-reflection and taking care of your own needs, but also prioritizing your child's needs. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I don't know, when I work with parents, I often see kind of like these polar extremes. Like you might have parents who are like, like hyper-focused on their own needs mm -hmm. and like less on the child. Or you might have parents who are like solely about the kid's needs and like don't take themselves, like care of themselves enough. Mm -hmm. And so how, how does one go about both? Mm-hmm. How does one go about meeting both? Being in tune with and prioritizing their child's needs, but also like their own needs. Mm -hmm. And I like, and I think about this maybe like in terms of boundaries, right? Like there are certain things that, um, I'm trying to just think of an example, but there's certain things that as a parent, I need to have, whether it's alone time or whether it's. Um, like 
with my children, they need to learn to speak to me in a respectable way. Like they're not allowed to talk back, not like back talk about, yeah, like they're not. And and it's not like, you know, you must obey everything I say, but it's like, no, I don't speak to you that way. You're not allowed to speak to me that way, Mm -hmm. you know? So uh, like, how do we maybe go about boundaries? I guess is maybe a better way of phrasing it. So so there's a, there's, there's a lot, lot to unpack here because you were kind of first talking about how do I make sure, how do we hold both that mommies have needs and, and children have, have needs. Um, so really the best way to ensure that a child's needs met, needs are met is to ensure that a mother's needs are met. And so, um, we, we really do want to make sure that fifth, there are 15 minutes a day, um, every single day for mom to get whatever needs it is that she has met. Um, so if that is alone time, if that's a walk, if that's, you know, decompressing, I don't care whatever that is, 15 minutes a day is something that every mom needs, no matter where you are in your motherhood journey. And then another thing that I like to say mm. is we want to feed the hungriest first. So there are going to be some situations in relationship with our children where I just can't get my needs met first because what is going on with my child is bigger and they need me a little bit more in this moment. And so, so much of my message is moment to moment parenting. So in each moment, I can be evaluating and trying to recognize, oh, who's the hungriest in this moment? Is it me? Is it three o'clock and I haven't eaten a thing yet today? I'm definitely the hungriest, probably on a literal level, but also on a metaphorical level. I need to go and and do something nourishing for myself. But, you know, is it nine o'clock in the morning and I just had an hour to myself and, um, you know, I got the kiddos off for, for school and now I'm kind of prepping for dinner and all those good things getting the kids' needs and et cetera met, if that's the case, then yeah, I can probably move forward with getting getting things met for for my child. So that that's kind of how I how I break down how do we respond moment to moment. Um, that's so good. That's so yeah. good. Like I'm thinking about it, my transition to having three children mm-hmm. was a big challenge. And everyone's like, oh, once you have two, you add on more kids after, blah, blah, blah. Like that was not my experience. Not helpful. I really wish people did not say that stuff. Oh yeah. You can just add them on after that, whatever. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like I had two (laughs) young kids at the time. Uh I was like eight months pregnant with my middle son. And sorry, he was, my middle son was eight months old. Sorry. And I was pregnant and breastfeeding at the same time. Like it was just insane. It was just insane. And so it was a recipe for all of the risk factors for postpartum depression. Yeah. And then this new baby came along and I'm home on mat leave with three kids by myself. My husband works, you know, a commute away. He's gone 10 to 12 hours a day, usually 12 hour days. Mm. And I'm just like, everybody wants something from me all the time. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. but when you're talking about it, like, okay, who's the hungriest, who needs the most? And, you know, like obviously the newborn is like the most vulnerable and, Mm -hmm. and all of those things. And then it started to transition into like my middle son who kind of got dethroned and 
didn't adjust well and wasn't so happy about it and started to have some behavioral problems. Uh And my husband and I, I remember like we had a time when we talked through, okay, like how do we handle this Uh as parents, Uh right? And he's like, well, what would you tell your clients? Uh (laughs) And I'm like, well, I would tell them like it's it's the parent's responsibility. Like you have to work through understanding what his needs are and meeting them and whatever. And we did and we shifted it up and, and he was the hungriest in that moment and in that season, yeah. you know, and he had needs that were screaming to be met. Uh-huh. And we, we adjusted and what a change and like a light that came alive in hey, him, you know, no. like to have those needs met. Hey. So I love that analogy. That's so helpful to like visualize and to really practically in those moments of overwhelm for parents of whether it's just one or multiple to really, okay, like who, who is the most like hungry or in need. Right. And it, and it simplifies the process because if we were just to guess who is the hungriest in this scenario that you just described, yeah, we'd probably say the new mom and the new, and the new baby. But if we really stand back and assess and see how are all of the different needs being met, we see that this little eight month old is crying out and needing extra support. And then we, we get those needs met and we're, we're, tuned to it and we are sensitive to it. And now this, this baby is thriving and the family is happier. And what I love is that you had the know-with-all and the, the education to be able to make that kind of executive decision in the moment with your family. And what I want for more families is somebody to hold their hand through this process and to support them in being able to, and feeling confident even, and being able to step back and really evaluate what is going on for their family and then make their, make their parenting decisions based off what they are actually seeing in the moment, not what they think should be happening or what they they imagine might be happening, but what actually is? There's something so incredibly powerful about that. I love that that story. Thank you for sharing that, man. That was good. Mm. Yeah. And when you're talking about like what actually is, I feel like that ties into boundaries. Like when we bring in our expectations to a situation about what it Uh should be, Uh you know, I feel like that's when we get, and I saw this again on your Instagram and I love it. Like you have an authoritarian versus Uh authoritative, Uh is that right? Um, where you come in with like these rules and expectations. And, you know, like I was raised in a pretty strict family. I'm pretty conservative. Like I I would say that I'm a pretty strict parent. Like I have high expectations, but I wouldn't say I'm rigid, you know, like I would say I'm pretty flexible. Um, but like my, my husband and I, we go back and forth with this a little bit because we have to get on the same page in terms of our expectations and what boundaries mm-hmm. should look like. How do you work with parents yeah. on that? Um, I really love for for uh, two parents to come together and determine what are our family values? What do we really value in this house? So you had mentioned talking back as being something that you won't tolerate. And so <clears throat> instead of saying it like that, we don't talk back. The family value is we use kind and respectful communication. And then as the parents, I'm going to be modeling this constantly. Every time I talk to my husband, especially in front of my children, I'm going to make sure that I'm using kind and respectful communication. When I talk with my children, if I'm asking them to do something, 
I'm going to say please and thank you because I want to, this is a, this is a value of mine and it's something I want them to do. I want them to say please and thank you as well. I also want to communicate to them that they are, you know, active and very important members of this family. So do you, do you see how we're kind of, we're, we're flipping this idea of boundaries as, you know, a block between a parent and, and a child or between any two people and instead looking at boundaries as a bridge. How can we work together? How can we collaborate together? And as parents, we are in such an influential, wonderful position to be great role models for all of the things that we value. We really want to see our children um, um, embody. And so if another one of my value is um, that we, you know, we don't hit in our house, Obviously, you can probably glean from my history. This is a value of mine that that we we talk about our emotions and we we use our we use our words and not our bodies. And so this is something that that mm. I talk to. I've been talking to my son from the day he was born about using his words and not his body. He doesn't have words. I mean, he's starting to get some words, but he didn't have words as an infant. But it's a value that. I, I, I believe in so strongly that I started to cultivate that right from the very beginning. Um, and no matter where you are in your parenting journey, you can sit down, have this conversation with your partner, determine what your values are and how are we going to live this out for our children and eventually teach our children how to live this out for themselves. So that's how I like to look mm. at boundaries. What are your thoughts on that? What do you think about that? I love that. I love that. And I love how you frame it because like, and I'm so guilty and I keep using my own experiences right. because they're mine I and it. I can like, um, is that like, I fall into a like, don't hit or no hands or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. But I love instilling the value mm-hmm. and, and collaborate. Like we're trying to collaboratively build our little village, you know, and everyone contributes to making this a safe and um, welcoming home environment and not just like physically, but like within that safety and that attachment that we're trying to create, right? We want it to be emotionally, emotionally safe. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. I have a personal example story for you yesterday. (laughs) This is, so this is my four-year-old. He started JK. Let me tell you the attitude. Like, I feel like he went from like preschooler to teenager overnight, Uh this kid. (laughs) And he was napping up until he went to school. So he's been like going through a big adjustment. It's a lot for his little body, but he's like risen to the occasion. He's so proud of himself. He's doing so great at school and he loves it. But the attitude, mommy does not love so much, Mm -hmm. right? So he has to take, um, he had a peanut allergy and we did something called oral immunotherapy and we built up his immunity to peanut. So he has to take peanut every morning and he's decided to refuse to take peanut after we've invested all this time and money and energy in this this treatment for Mm. him that he hates peanut and he doesn't want to take it talk about how my blood could boil right like in that moment and like so we've been like gridlocking and power struggling over it like a couple days and he's been sick and I've been sick like we're all like when you look at the context it's just like a recipe for everyone not being totally (laughs) happy and you know agreeable and whatever um, but interestingly enough, yesterday, 
I've, I've been listening to Simplicity Parenting, oh, yeah. I believe it's mm-hmm. called. And it's really about like just like taking that step back and, you know, and again, also very much about working on your own stuff and being tuning into your child's perspective and like these types mm-hmm. of things. And I was like, okay, ha- like, have I really asked him like why he doesn't want to take the peanut? Yeah. Like, have I even really like had a conversation with him about it? At, like, aside from just saying, you better take your freaking peanut or I'm going to like blow a gasket, you know? And so interesting. He came home yesterday. I picked him up from his aftercare. And the first thing he said when he got in the van was, I'm not taking my peanut when I get home. (laughs) I was like, oh, little child. Yes, you are. (laughs) But we're not like, oh, we're not starting our evening off like this, you know? He wants so much control, Uh, it sounds like. He's really... Yeah. He's really asserting his independence. And, you know, it comes with him going to school and like, I, I understand it logically, like where he's at developmentally. Right. But at at the same time, I have to parent him and it's unhealthy for him to stop taking his peanut. Like I think about other parents who have like actual medications that their parents or that their children have to take for whatever medical Mm -hmm. reasons. And it's like, just because they don't want to take it isn't a reason for them to do something harmful to themselves, right? So I was in this struggle with him. And so I I left it alone and I wasn't engaging when he was trying to like, really like, I'm not going to take it. And he's almost trying to get a rise out of me. And I'm like, you know, we're going to have dinner and whatever. And then I sat with him after and I was like, I'm I'm breastfeeding my other baby. My other child's running around and I'm trying to have this like heart-to-heart conversation with my four-year-old. Like it's a gong show. But I was just like, help me out here. Like, why don't you like your peanut? And he's like, well, it tastes spicy. I don't, I don't like it. It doesn't taste yummy. Like it tastes spicy. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, well, you've been learning problem solving at school. And he's been, we've been playing this problem solving game. And I'm like, why don't we turn it into our problem solving game? And like, let's think about how we can solve this problem together. And he was like, oh, yeah, I don't know. And I'm like, well, we could put the peanut in yogurt. We could try it maybe even in some like jelly or jam. Maybe we try it in like pudding or you can have your peanut and you could wash it down with juice box after so the yucky taste gets off your Uh tongue. Like what solution do you like for this problem? (sighs) And he was like, yeah. I'll take it really super, like super speed. And then I'll wash it down with juice box after. Fabulous. And I was like, like I could hear the angels choir sing. Uh-huh. I was like, this kid is going to take his speed out. Like, you know, but what, like in that moment, I shifted him and I being across the table, gridlocked, like power struggling to him and I being on the same side of the table, looking at the problem together, collaboratively problem yes. solving. And it was like such a powerful shift for us. And the boundary was still set, right? Like he still took mm-hmm. his peanut and that's the boundary. That's the need I had that had to be met in that moment. But it's not just about forcing these little human beings to do things the way we want them done, when we want them done. Like, you know, it's a collaborative process, right? And you met you met his need for control. He was 
trying yeah. to exercise control. I mean, he has a trauma history. He has a, he has a peanut allergy. That's a, that's a pretty significant trauma history. And he's had to go through, I mean, the oral immunotherapy is not necessarily traumatic, but it is a process and it is something that he needs to, you know, be committed to. And it does, it, it does kind of symbolize a loss of control over his body. And now he's mm. getting into, getting into, um, I think you said junior kindergarten and he feels like, Hey, I think it's time that I have control over my body and let me assert this to my mommy. And I'm going to tell her that I don't want my peanut. And you responded with so much compassion and warmth and curiosity. I mean, gosh, can curiosity get us so far with having children, children of any age. And that's what you met him with. So tell me, what, what is it about the peanut that you're not loving? And your child was open and able to share that with you. And then of course, yes, enacting that problem solving strategy is um, perfectly age appropriate for his for where he's at right now. And it made him feel like he's in the driver's seat of his own body. You met mm-hmm. that need yeah. for him. And at the same time, you got your need met. That is a perfect example, actually, of that authoritative parenting. I have high expectations, but I'm going to be flexible. That Mary Poppins, just a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. The medicine doesn't taste great, but you will get a nice big spoonful of sugar afterward to make it better. And and that's what you did for him. How, How beautiful for your relationship that you guys were able to have that experience together. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And like this morning, um, my husband and I have been problem solving too. And he got him like a different variety of peanut. It was like honey roasted or something. And we were like, well, daddy problem solved. And he thought maybe this would be a good solution and you could try this. And this morning downed his peanut without like a second thought. Right. But it took like, it was like three or four days of him refusing. And my husband and I looking at each other like we've invested all of this time and money. Like this was not a cheap process. And we like this is for the betterment of his like future, short of like cramming peanuts in this kid's mouth, which is not an option. Like what we feel like at a loss. And for me as a mom, it is a major trigger when I feel a lack of control oh. of the situation. Speak it. Speak that truth. Like, like that is a big like talking about triggers, if we have like a hierarchy from like big to small, put that right at the top. And I like could I either like shut right down because I'm way activated or I want to go into like rage mode. So then I like force myself to shut down and like decompress and walk away or whatever mm-hmm. because it's – I don't know. Like it just sometimes feels like chaos and and the kids are just – my need is, I don't even know what my need is in that moment for the kids to listen, but that's not their role. Like they don't have, <laughs> yes, they do have to listen, but like, you know what I mean? And that's when I was bringing up that, that back and forth between who, who has the bigger need in that moment, yeah. right? Like, yeah, mommy, because she's going to blow a gasket. That's probably right. who needs, exactly. mommy needs a minute. Like that's, that's the greater need here because the alternative is gridlocking and then me like losing it or whatever, right? And then the work, the work then is to reflect and come to some kind of better understanding of what your relationship with control is. And I'm not speaking just to you, Erica, I'm speaking to all of us because control is probably one of the most triggering issues for almost every single woman um, who is a mother that I've ever met. 
Um, right. And really feeling the the pressure and the need to keep it together all the time is, is very toxic. Um, but it's also something that we do need to think about. What is my experience with control? What do I remember being modeled for me in terms of control? What would it look like if I actually lost it? What do I fear might happen? Would I gain anything from, from losing control? What is, mm. what is really behind it for me? Um, now, of course, me being my infant mental health mindset, I immediately want to talk about and think about what our ghosts are. What are, what are our ghosts in the nursery around control? What are our early negative experiences around maybe somebody losing control or feeling as a child like we didn't have enough control? I mean, there's, there's so much to think about and so yeah. much that can be unpacked there. And this is where that reflected, we can't just to kind of circle back to that part of the conversation. This is where that reflective functioning really comes in to being a very useful tool because what I, what we can do, we can do like one of two things. Okay. I can keep practicing my self-regulation and my self-care and keep it together in the moment, moment by moment and do that for my, my motherhood experience. And I'll probably do okay, but I might feel really taxed by the end of it. Okay. Or I can recognize that trigger, spend some time doing that, that dirty, tough work that we don't really want to do, and look it in the face, try to shine some light on that trigger, and then approach self-regulation and self-care from a more regulated place to begin with, because I'm not I'm, I'm in a more conscious state of mind. I'm not in such an unconscious state of mind anymore. Does that make sense? Hmm. Yeah. Like, it's so interesting to me because as I'm thinking about this, like I often wrap up interviews with like, okay, let's think about some of like the really practical takeaways and here's your XYZ steps and whatever. But this conversation today just feels so different. I feel like we've done some real soul yep. work today. You know, these conversations kind of transcend these quick fixes. Like they're a commitment to dive into yourself yes. and whether it's reparent, be aware, learn what it is that you need to regulate yourself so you can show up, like you said, yeah. right? You can show up in the best version of yourself mm -hmm. for your kids, for your family, and for yourself and your own joy and your own experience. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So powerful. Mm -hmm. the, 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 the way we get into presence and joy is by filtering through all of the um, experiences that are getting in the way. All of those life experiences mm -hmm. that that kind of shadow, the, the presence and the joy that we are all innately gifted with. We are all born as babies, which means we are all born with the capacity for complete presence to the moment and absolute joy with just unconditional joy. 
uh, with no expectations mm. around it. That is, that is just one of the, the, that's the essence of being a baby. I also really believe that's one of our essences as being human beings. It's a, it's a birthright that we have. And part of motherhood, in my opinion, my very humble opinion is getting ourselves back to that. And I really believe that this self-reflection work that we kind of unpacked and talked about a little bit today is really that, that we're on the right, the right track if that's something we're working toward. Hmm. So good. <laughs> Brianna, thank you so much for spending this time with us today. I feel like I'm so just nourished oh. by our conversation. And I know I have already got you booked to come back because <laughs> like I said, you're one of those humans. I just want to like, why aren't you my neighbor? You know, <laughs> but thank you. Um, I can't wait for people to hear this and hear their reactions because I feel like this is like a seed that people need to receive, you know, to give them permission to do the work they need to do. And um, yeah, thank Thank you you so so much. much. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. I love talking with you, Erica, and I can't wait to talk with you again soon. Guys, how powerful of a conversation was that? I just wanted to let you know that you can find Brianna on Instagram. That's where she hangs out online at South Bay Mummy and Me. And if you're in South Bay of Southern California, she offers all kinds of Mummy and Me classes and sees clients there. But if you're not, like me, I'm in Toronto. She also has an online course called Raising Children You Like, and it is such an insightful course. And you saw the presence and the knowledge and the value she brings. So you can head on over there and learn more from her at Raising Children You Like. Thank you so much for tuning in today, guys. I hope you really took something away from this episode. can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description, or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happy as a mother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job. Settling is not an option for Everything me. I desire is already mine. What if you can have it all? <laughs> because every day is for the girls. Hello, hello. Welcome to For the Girls podcast, hosted by Victoria Alario, For the Girls Who Want More. Listening to For the Girls will have you ready to raise the bar, stop settling for the bare minimum, and start believing you can have it all. 
and step into the 2.0 version of you. You can catch a new episode of For the Girls every Monday across all podcast platforms. Until next time, girls.